And now, the starting lineup for Inside Slam. At guard, number 11, from the University of Iowa, standing 4 feet 26 inches, it's the man with the smoothest voice in the commentary box, Mr. Magic, Steve Confino. And at small forward, number 6, standing, well, sometimes because he prefers to sit, Mr. Stats himself, Evan Goldback. This is Inside Slam. Am I? I'm, I'm gonna stop. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's. All right. You're I, the host. That's well, why you're on the big uh, bickies. Okay. Yeah. The big bickies. Actually, do we have do we have any bickies? Like, I feel like some Monte Carlos. No, man, I can't eat that. I like Monte Carlos. No. Maybe Oreos. Mm-hmm. Oreos. No. Come on, man. Start it. Welcome everybody to Inside Slam. This is Evan Goldback, and this is a Global Story Network production. I am sitting right next to Steve Carfino. We're in a bit of a funny mood today. Yeah, I'm in a weird mood, aren't I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an interesting pod. Well, listen, coming up, it's actually a jam-packed show. We've got Sean Maloney uh, joining us all the way from Japan. Sean is one of the head commentators for the World Rugby Feed, so going to get his take on the World Cup. Uh, it's been a crazy World Cup. There's been refereeing decisions that uh, have been absolutely mind-boggling. But the big story, obviously, the host nation, Japan, making the quarterfinals. So that's an amazing achievement for them. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to have the Who Am I segment again, where I'm going to try and stump Steve. We're also going to give away the answer to the Who Am I question from last week. We're going to go into the top five Euro players in the NBA this year. And uh, we're also going to obviously touch upon some of the big NBA points. So, Steve, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Let's get it on. All right. Let's get it on indeed. Well, let's listen. Let's start with the NBA because the big story of the NBA today, or probably for the last week, has been this whole China situation. Now, I want to give you something. I don't know if you know this about me. I actually lived in China for five years. I didn't know that. I lived in China for five years. Yeah. I lived. I lived there from two thousand and five to two, late two thousand and ten. And can uh, you do a Chinese accent? Uh, I can. Okay. Uh, but we'll maybe be, we'll, it's not politically we, correct at this point in time. So maybe go ahead. Moving on. Can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> we'll be thrown out. But yeah, it's it's a really. In- I mean, it's a really interesting situation because in the last probably. 10 years or so, I guess ever since Yao Ming came into the league, China has been a big part of the NBA. You've got guys that have sponsorship deals over there. You've seen companies that are sponsoring teams. Um, obviously, they have the league pass over there uh, via Tencent, which is, a, uh, which is a Chinese organization. So it's really interesting because Daryl Morey, obviously the GM of the Rockets, has, has basically used his freedom of speech to get behind the people of Hong Kong. Now, this is not a political podcast. We're not going to get into the politics side of things. But as a former player, what do you make of um, you know LeBron's stance today? People look at him, whether it's right or wrong, as the moral compass of the NBA. And he's gotten behind a lot of big movements. Obviously, most of them, or all of them, for, for I guess, uh, a positive movement. But what are your thoughts on what he's, uh, you know, he's kind of distanced himself from uh, these, con- uh, these comments by Daryl Morey? Well, I think he's kind of set himself up to fail because if he's going to be looked upon as the moral compass of, of the NBA, then he's kind of setting himself up for people to have an opinion on every single thing. So it, now that he's saying, okay, I, I need more information to be able to have an opinion on it, 
now he's being judged. You know, I, I think that the public is fickle. You know, you know, they talk about LeBron James being a hypocrite, but the public are the biggest hypocrites you can possibly be because anytime there's a political view or anytime there's some type of viewpoint and an actor or a famous person or an athlete takes a stance on something, then the public is like, why are they saying something? They're no expert in that field. No one wants to hear from them. And then as soon as LeBron James doesn't have an opinion... But they ask for the opinion. So it's like a vicious cycle. He can't win because they're asking for his opinion. And then he gives his opinion and people go, well, why are you giving the opinion? He goes, well, you asked me a question. Well, this is why, you know, I've been in the public eye on a much, 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 much smaller scale. But I've got this risk versus reward theory. You know, what is there? What is it that I'm risking? And what's the reward of me making an opinion on it and voicing my opinion? And usually I'm quiet because there's way bigger, way much bigger risk than it is reward. You know, like you get out and you say something that's clever and people are like, eh. and you say something that is stupid or some something that, you know, there's a big side. And, and the way that things are nowadays with social media, say if you are for Black Lives Matter, then you're against the police. You know, which isn't necessarily true, but that's how you're viewed, and it's harsh. And so then you have gay marriage, you know, and you're like, mm, you know, brought up in the church, I'm uncomfortable with it. Then all of a sudden, you are a bigot. Exactly. You know, so it's it's tricky. You know what? You actually hit the nail right on the head there because one of the things that I hate, I hate, is that if you have, it's and it's more in American politics where. If you have one view that is on the Democrat side, people say, oh, you're massively anti-Republican or whatever it may or you're anti-conservative, whatever it may be. And there's, it's all about extremes these days. And there's most of the time, you know, a Democrat and a Republican or a progressive and a conservative will agree on 95% of the things. But the media focuses on the fact that we disagree on the 5%. And I think that's a real shame. But in getting back to, um, I guess, the NBA... This is, a, this is a tricky issue. I mean, this is probably Adam Silver's biggest test. I mean, China must bring in billions in terms of revenue. I mean, that um, Bill Simmons mentioned that this, it could even affect the salary cap moving forward. So, I mean, w w how do you think the NBA plays it out? Because obviously they can't obviously throw Daryl Murray under the bus. But, I mean, if I'm being my personal reaction is I think China's overreacted to one tweet. I mean, it's he's not talking on behalf of the millions of people in the U.S. or or the NBA as a whole. So, where do you think it goes from here? Well, you know that's interesting. You know, because it is a, a touchy situation. I agree with you. I believe China has overreacted because it's just one man's opinion. It's not the NBA stance. They haven't come out and made a quote about this is our stance on this issue. This is where we are. Uh, we condemn it. We go for it. We haven't said that. So, I, yeah, I do think that they've reacted. I just think, I, I really think that they should go silent on it. There, there really is nothing to gain by, especially a player like LeBron James. I think that individuals should go silent on it and then bunker down, come up with a strategy, which is an educated strategy. And, and I don't know what that is, but, you know, right now, I just don't think shooting your mouth off is really going to help anybody. No, I, I completely agree. There's also another big topic that's coming out of, uh, you know, it's doing news cycles today. Um, and when I say today, we are recording, you know, Tuesday, 15th of October at 5 p.m. So if this isn't relevant by tomorrow, you know, please forgive us. But 
sleep deprivation in the in the NBA. They're talking about it. Um, they're saying it, it's, it could be the NBA's version of the NFL concussion um, rule. But, the, you know, there's players that are, are kind of starting to talk about it a bit more. And I was reading something today. I was reading that, say you played an 8 p.m. game. You have an 8 p.m. game. You finish at 10. By the time you get out of there, it's probably 2 o'clock in, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. You get on the flight. You probably don't get to sleep till about 5 a.m. Then you've got to play the next day. It might be, it might even be a noon game or an afternoon game. That must be taxing. I don't know, obviously, you know, how that feels. I've never played at that level. But I know, you know, Steve, you played at the very high level, you know, for the NBL. What, did you ever find there was a situation or times where it was just sleep was impossible? And maybe tell us a l- little bit more about what it feels like um, as an athlete. These guys are making a lot of money. You know, they're on a $200 million and they're missing a bit of sleep. Come on now. Guys are working the graveyard shift. Guys are staying up all night, providing for their family. You know, women are getting up and looking after children and not just women, you know, like anybody that has children, Mm. you know, you've done without sleep for maybe seven years straight. If you string a couple of kids together, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, like they're losing sleep. I used to lose sleep as a commentator. I'd be charged up after a game. I don't know what the solution is. You know, maybe that's why they don't test for marijuana in the NBA because all the brothers are on the weed. Like get off the weed. Get off the weed. Get off the weed. Oh man, I mean, this is come on, really? Actually, our sound they're comparing it to concussions. Guys are dying. Guys are dying in the NFL. They're comparing it to. Are you making this up? No, it's a, it's a story today. Show me. Get it on your phone. There's and show a story. Me. I think you're making it up. Are we light on content or something? ESPN. Oh, you got to be making that ESPN. up. Sleep deprivation is compared to concussions in the NBA. Guys are dying, committing suicide. You know, you've seen Will Smith. Yeah, he's a hell of an act. He's a hell of an actor too. He's a great actor. I, know. I don't he's know. A hell I, of an actor. I don't know about his accent. I know. He played a Muhammad Ali. He played a Muhammad yeah, Ali that, too. That is true. I mean, yeah. when I say ESPN, it's Evans Surreal Paranormal Network. So that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> what's the next topic because that one was ridiculous there was okay well let's let's move on let's let's talk let's talk about something fun we're gonna go into the who am i oh yeah okay. you know because i know I, our listeners want to know who who we finished on last week i've got a i've got to compliment you on the two that you picked because they can't be so difficult they're impossible to get but they can't be obvious because you know there's no challenge to it so the two that you picked were fantastic. I appreciate that. Well, let's you got nowhere to go but down after that. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Let's get. Uh, let me bring up the uh, the clues from last week's. The one that I got. The one that you well you got you got Horace Grant. But yeah. so I'm going to go through the clues that I left the, um, our listeners with. So, born in 1965, six foot seven, went to the University of UCLA, was the 11th pick in the '87 draft and played for one team. Now, I hope you guys didn't Google it and cheat, but the answer to that question was Reggie Miller. And Steve didn't get it. I know. He didn't get it. I couldn't I believe know. it. I, I, I even gave you the clue about the, you know, the run-in with the fan, you know, the Spike Lee moment, the choke, and uh, yeah, but then you end up getting Horace Grant in five seconds. I know, but I would have gotten it if you said, some people rated his sister better than him in high school because his sister, Cheryl Miller, who had 105 points in a high school game, 
She was amazing. She was like the best female player in the world. Don't you have some history with Cheryl Miller? Yeah. I mean, do, I mean, do we have time? I, there's always time for one of my stories. <laughs> Let, let's hear that one. Oh, man. You know, I, I, I met her at the uh, National Sports Festival. You know, she was young and, you know, and awkward. Walked her back to her dorm room. She grabbed me by the collar and kissed me aggressively. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it wasn't your fault. You were just uh, being Steve Garfina. I know. I, I guess I'm one of those guys that gets kissed and tells. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, 30 years later. Oh, yeah. You're being generous. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to get straight. I'm going to give you the clues for this week's Who Am I? Born July 18, 1971. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This is the new one? This is the new I'm one. Trying to get, I'm trying to get... Okay. You know, sometimes when you're talking, I kind of slip in and out of concentration. I really wasn't <laughs> listening then. Can you please start again? Hi, my name's Evan Goldberg. I'm on Inside <laughs> Slam. Steve, you're sitting next to me in a safe place. This is a studio, and we are going to start the Who Am I segment. Are you ready? Okay, I am ready okay. this time. <laughs> you're in a weird mood today. Yeah. Born July 18, 1971. Six foot seven. Went to the University of Memphis was in the 1993 draft, played for four teams. The 19... He was born in 70... Born in 71. 71. When it went in the 93 draft. 93 draft, yes. He, he was, all I'll say, he was a top five pick. Mm-hmm. Played, the, uh, played the point and was six foot seven. Six foot seven, um, Penny Hardaway. You got it. Yeah, yeah. The six foot seven point guard kind of. Yeah, yeah. There's not that many six foot seven point guards, I guess. Yeah. Besides the six foot nine LeBron slash Magic, but yeah, Penny Hardaway. But to be honest, he was my favorite player growing up. Was he? He he went to the University of Memphis, really? or was it Memphis State back then? Uh, he went to University of Memphis. It just says Memphis. Okay. Yeah. So he because would, I know that university is Men- University of Memphis now because Derek Rose went there and Tariq Edwards Ev- Evans, Evans, went, Evans Evans went there as the University of Memphis. But it used to be Memphis State when Keith Lee was there. When I'm not sure Andre Turner. Remember when Clyde Drexler dunked on that guy? Oh yeah. That was on Memphis State. Okay. I yeah. think it was Memphis State then back then. Yeah. I, was, I, I think I it think was, it was Memphis yeah. State. That's what threw me a little bit. He was my favorite player. Like I, I remember collecting basketball cards as a kid. Remember Little Penny? Yeah, Little With Penny. With the Reebok the Reba- Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Just, he had his own doll. It was kind of creepy. It was a know? bit creepy, but yeah. it, was, it was actually quite cool. But him and Shaq, man, back in the day. Nick they, Anderson. Dennis Scott. Yeah. Um, Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, Scott Skiles. On the, on that, there was, he played on that team? Yeah, on the on that oh, Orlando yeah. team. Yeah, you know he had thirty assists. One Horace game? Grant, they had an awesome team. He had thirty four assists. It's never, that that'll never be beaten. Never, surely. no. Mm-mm. Unless well, unless well, Westbrook and Harden are playing together, maybe yeah. combined. I don't you know, know, it was even more amazing than those thirty assists Scott Skiles had. He was short, white, and pudgy and balding. But nothing's changed. He looks ex- as a manager, or as you know, he was a coach. He looked exactly the same from when he played. He, oh yeah. When he was twenty-one, he looked like he was thirty-five. There was when I he played in my conference. He went to Michigan State. I played against him. Oh yeah. Uh, it was him and Sam Vincent in the backcourt when I played at the University of Iowa. And so Scott Skiles, good player. He's a good player, no doubt about it. 
And there was a guy named Bruce Douglas who played at the University of Illinois who was like this McDonald's All-American, supposed to be one of the best guards in the country. And Scott Skiles said, now this is a guy that backs up his talent, you know, because it ain't bragging if you can back it up. He said, if Bruce Douglas is one of the best players in the nation, I'm the best player in the universe. That's what Scott Skiles said, and he backed it up with 30. He just destroyed him. Wow. Yeah, on the road, on the road had that game. Out of those, you know, that that, he's kind of that tough white guy, late 80s, early 90s player, um, kind of reminds me of like a Danny Ainge, John Stockton-esque. That was a that was a kind of real gritty time for those those white boys coming through. They were just like they could you know they could talk you know they could talk the trash and 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 back it up. I don't really see that these days. More it's you don't really see that tough that that tough player. You know what you do see are just these European players taking over the league. They are the new brothers of the league. They're unbelievable. No, I mean as in it used to be a path for minority kids. That was their pathway to fame and fortune. And now these European players come from even tougher backgrounds. For them to make millions and support their family is through basketball or sport. And so these guys are the new guys of, uh, from the school of hard knocks. They're tough. They're, they're, they're extremely tough. tough, resilient, been through all kind of adversity. I'm talking about the adversity when you know, you're living in a country where you don't see the sun for 12 months. Yeah. And it's a, or it's a war. Family doesn't eat. Or a war torn country. Or oh, something. Yeah. yeah. There's always been. I'm not talking about tough, like can't catch a cab. I'm talking about, you know, can't catch a break. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or you got to walk, you know, kilometers to get to, you know, your school or anything like that. Or like to- really do it. Not like, you know, my dad's story. They used to walk, you know, 15 miles in the snow uphill. How can you be walking uphill both ways to there and from there? Have you have you worked that out yet? <laughs> have you asked? Oh, him? that my dad exaggerates. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I do that now because I'm a dad. All right. Well, listen. Let's. Uh, do you want to do these top five Euro players? Because I mean, there's a there's a whole host to choose from. Yeah. You can. All right. You made me go first last time. So All right. You go first. I'm gonna go first. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna give you my top five, and then I'm gonna give you the five that I think just missed out. So it's almost like a ten, but I've got Giannis number one. I've got Nikola Jokic at two. I've got Rudy Gobert at three. I've got Luka Doncic at four. And I've got Porzingis at five. And then the guys that have just missed out for me, I've got Nikola Vucevic, Pascal Siakam, Laurie Markkinen for the Bulls, Mark Gasol, obviously getting a little bit old now, and I've got Valanciunas as well. So that's kind of my top ten. But, yeah, my top five, Giannis, Jokic, Gobert, Doncic, Porzingis. Are there any more international players in the NBA? I mean, your list was pretty long. Oh, you got Fournier. You've got, no, I was going to say Tony Parker. <laughs> Tony Kugoc, he still plays, doesn't he? Uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, Bogdanovich. I mean, there's uh, two Bogdanoviches. Oh, yeah. What, what do you got? I got like a starting five. And I'm not going to say that I was lazy. I'm just going to say that I'm like a, you know, I think like a GM, I'm trying to put a team together, you know, so I'm thinking of, okay, who's going to run the point for me? Is that why you got your GM hat on today? You you got your your red hat? Yeah. Is that that why? You might have to help me on the names, you know. So uh, at the one, what's that dude's name from, used to play for Phoenix, plays for the Heat now. Goran Goran Dragic. Dragic. I like him. He's a combo guard. He's tough. 
He's, yeah, he's tough. tough. He's very tough. Yeah. Oh, extremely tough. Yeah. I like those combo guards. I mean, you got to be able to slide them over. I'm really interested to see how he goes with the Heat this year with Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, Jimmy's hard to play with. He is. He's, yeah. He he said he got to the gym at 3 a.m. in the morning. Who does this? Yeah, or who cares? I mean, I got here at 3 a.m. to practice for this podcast. I mean, the way <laughs> <laughs> the way the way he hangs his teammates out to dry. I don't like that. Yeah. You know, it's a team game. You know, they ask, what kind of a teammate is he? That's often when people say, okay, this guy's a great player. What kind of a teammate is he? And I think uh, Jimmy Butler goes in the The bow-bow. That goes in that category. Who's your dude? I like Joe Ingles. Oh, yeah, he's really European. Oh, my, he is, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's not from what? America. P- what that's side an America, of, That's an American answer. What side of the bed? He ain't American. <laughs> He's got to be European I, I'm or gonna, something. I'm going to give you a map. I'm yeah. going to give you a map. Are you going to be one of those Americans? Hey. Oh, there's Iraq, and it's a bloody Tasmania. Exactly. You've seen Dumb and Dumber. They're yeah. like, oh, well, come, you have a lovely accent. Where are you from? She goes, I'm from Austria. He goes, throw another shrimp <laughs> on the barbie. <laughs> That's exactly what you've just done now. That's right. Joe, so, Joe Ingles. So what do you just say? Like, say like, He's not say, American. Say with a Spanish hey, name. You think. Okay. Joe, Joe Ingles. Okay. <laughs> now, Joe Ingles. let me ask you this question. You're, you're in America, and you think, okay, someone says Joe Ingles. You think anybody in America is going to go, he's not from Europe? <laughs> they don't even care. There are people from California don't even know where the state of Iowa or Ohio are. They have no idea. They don't even know how many states there are in the country. Yeah, they don't even. Yeah, they couldn't name all fifty states. Anyway, okay. So, so <laughs> I was, I was really, I was really reaching because I made a mistake. Yeah, there, put Joe Ingles on okay. there. Okay, the Greek freak at the three. That, that's I don't need to say anything. Don't. I know. Yep. Well, you know why I said the Greek freak? Because I can't say his last name. Antetokounmpo. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, and Sabonis. Good player. Not, Good. not the old dude. His son. Yeah. How well, do you say his first name? Demantis Sabonis, Indiana Pacers. I like it. He's versatile. Good stretch four. Plays, yeah. plays with Miles Turner. Definitely, uh, I can definitely see why he's in that top five. And after the world championships, Rudy Gobert at the five. Oh, he's a beast. He is a beast. Oh, my goodness. He just changes the way the game is played on the defensive end of the floor. Like we said, the international players are taking over. Um, I think it's good. To, it's good. Because, I mean, I came up with 10, and there's obviously, you know, the Rubios we didn't discuss, Bogdanovich we didn't discuss. There's probably over 20 really good NBA uh, European Did players. Did we go to Luka Doncic? I, I had him in my oh, five. Right. You, you, oh. didn't, you, you didn't put it. You had him. Okay, you know, let's take Joe out because he's not from Europe. He's from Australia. Oh, thanks. Okay. Th- thanks, Captain Obvious. Just, thanks, Captain Obvious. I just Obvious. realized that. <laughs> Let's slot him in to All my right. starting five right there. All right, done. Because he could play anywhere. He could. He got a crazy he, game. He you could. know You know he reminds me of? Larry Bird. Because oh, you, know, you know why? I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> even the brothers up in the cheap seats are like, yeah, that white boy can go. Yeah, that is true. I mean, he, he came in, grown man league, and kicked ass as a, as a rookie. I know, because in the old days – the brothers up in the cheap seats, they didn't like any white guys. Yeah. Except when Larry Bird came, they're like, yeah, that white boy can go. No, he can go. Yeah, he he's the go. truth. That yeah. old French lick, Indiana. about Luca now. Well, listen, it's time to get Sean Maloney on the phone. Uh, Sean is up in Japan. Sean, thanks for joining Inside Slam, mate. Uh, really appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, you must be absolutely loving it over there. It's been a, been a cracking World Cup. Yeah, it's been unreal, guys. Moshi Moshi off the top. That's what you uh, give on the phone. So I'll give that on the podcast here. I'm immersed <laughs> in 
everything that Japan has to offer. This World Cup has been insane from the get-go. And I know that we're going to delve into it a little bit deeper in, in a moment, but Japan's win against Scotland to set up a quarter-final spot on uh, Sunday night over here was it, it has just set the rugby world alight. And and what about there? You know, I know that when I was in Sydney for the 2000 Olympics and the entire city, well, the whole country just embraced it. But to be there as it was happening was really special. What's it been like to be there? Do you know what? that Steve, that is such a good analogy. That is almost the identical uh, offset. I was, I was the same, mate. I was a 20-year-old Sydney 2000, uh, wide-eyed, and there's just that real sense of community with international travels, and the exact same thing has played out here. From the outset, the Japanese have thrown their arms open. I was down calling in uh, Oeda. So Oeda's about 90 minutes away from Tokyo Southwest uh, for that Wales-Fiji game and the Australia-Uruguay game. Mate, you walk down the street down there and you'd be walking every 15, 20 steps and a local will be giving you a high five. Like they are they are loving having the World Cup on their doorstep and they are just such great people. How good is that? I mean, the Japan-Scotland game, just going back to that, I'm just so glad that they actually played the game in the first place. I mean, there was talks about if it got cancelled because of the typhoon, which obviously been terrible. You know, Scotland was going to have a, a legal battle with uh, the RWC. But just the fact that they got to play that game and they won that game was a tight match. I mean, they were up big early and then Scotland came back and then I think it was 28-21 they ended up winning the game. Yeah, 28-21. So they were down 7-zip early on, Japan. But they've got this remarkable way that they play the game. So for for your listeners who are obviously uh, preeminently basketball and that kind of thing, they've totally rejigged the way they – they've basically transformed rugby in the way they play. So they don't – they refuse to kick the ball. So normally the number nine in rugby will always forever be kicking it. You guys will have seen it through the World Cup. You'll continue to see it the box through the kick. quarterfinals. But Japan don't. The box hit Japan don't. They, don't, they don't. they don't play that. They identified a few years ago that they had to be quick across the park. So they identified if they could be the first players to where the ball was, then they'd have a high likelihood of winning the game. I mean, I, I appreciate how simple that is, but in reality, that's basically it to every sport, isn't it? If you're the fittest and fastest, you get to the ball first every time, then more often than not, you're going to uh, win the game. So that result the other night was insane. Uh, 60 million, I'm told, domestically alone wow. watched that win of the Brave Blossoms over Scotland. So in a, I don't have the numbers on me, but that's a fairly large portion of the entire country of Japan. And as you say, Ev, around uh, the Super Typhoon Hagibus, it meant that little bit more to them. I love that explanation because I'm a massive fan of watching sports take something and be successful at it, and then watch how it changes the sport. Do you think that that style of play will influence, especially with the success that Japan has, you think that will influence the way the game is played around the world in any way? I really, do you know what, Steve? I really hope so because it's a pure form of the game, not just that. The four tries that Japan scored the other night against Scotland, you know, like a, a long time established home nation were we're talking platinum class they were unbelievable so they showed i mean they put the blueprint down and they gave us a good taste of it back in 2015 when they beat south africa in the uh world cup held in england so that was that'll probably still remain the biggest upset in the history of rugby that win against south africa japan vsa uh this tournament alone they've beaten ireland and they've beaten scotland so what they're doing works and what they're doing is fun to watch and i hope 
that we see more ball in hand because it's what everyone wants to watch. Do you think they can beat South Africa? Big ask. It is. It is. And it'll be a great contrasting of styles. Mm-hmm. Um, South Africa, I mean, Steve, they've got South Africa, their smallest guy on the field towers over you. That's how big they are. They are absolutely enormous. Um, they're two second rows, I think, at 207 and 208 centimetres tall. All their um, front rowers are massive. So it's going to be this real contrast, guys, of a big sort of heavyweight a nation coming in to take on a, a country that uh, can just jab and move and jab and move and jab and move. So it's going to be that. Yes, they can win. Is a short answer. It's obviously going to be tough, but it's going to be an enthralling contest from the out. Can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Well, Sean, just for your information, I've lost a bit of weight, so I'm I'm still the same height, but not, <laughs> I don't have the same girth. <laughs> he's like, oh, I tell you what, you'd fit in. You'd fit into that South African team, regardless. He's he's looking he's looking very trim these days. Um, well, Sean, I, I mean, I think it was you know it was very tough for us to kind of get over that Wales game. There was a lot of blame uh, placed placed on the referee, obviously, for a couple of those incidents and. Being a an, a casual observer, which I am for the Rugby World Cup, I do love rugby, but it, it's, I only really watch it around the Rugby World Cup time as all the Bledisloe, which we've discussed on previous pods. Do you think that the refereeing has overshadowed in, in any way the um, the Rugby World Cup too much? Do you think changes need to be made to the rules or are you, are you happy with how they are and we need to adapt uh, to the rules moving forward? I tell you, I, I'll, I'll put this in really basic broadcast terms because that's my that's my job. Um, when I'm sitting there calling a game and it's continually being checked and stopped and pulled up and we're losing minute after minute after minute. To give you an example, it was the Wales-Fiji game first half. So 40-minute halves in rugby, that stretched 54 minutes. And the worst part of that is, is that those additional minutes aren't time with ball in hand or extra gameplay. They are stoppages oh. for and any number of those things that popped up in that game. So I, I think, look, I think it, without being critical of, of who's here and what they're doing, um, I think the overall approach to it needs to be changed significantly. But that's that's not an easy fix. I mean, that's not something you can do on the spot. That takes time. But it takes an appreciation, I think, for what you're losing from people in front of their TV sets going, my God, another stoppage? Really? So it, it, it does need work. It hasn't overshadowed it because we've had those massive results um, from Japan and, and Fiji and Uruguay as well. But it, it needs refinement. Do you think that Australia's success, I, I know I can only speak of, of basketball because we've never meddled in basketball. We've come fourth about five times at world championships and at the Olympic Games, but haven't been able to medal. And people are like, oh, I can't believe we haven't medaled. And it's such an amazing achievement to medal, to get a gold medal, to get a you know silver or bronze. Australia hasn't been able to do it. And people in the basketball world act like they're disappointed. Do you think the success of Australia and rugby has made Australians unrealistic about how successful we should be at these international events? That's a, that's a great question. Rightly or wrongly, uh, Evan, the man sitting next to you right now in the studio back in uh, Sydney, he's he's the case point, Steve. Like He is the absolute embodiment of rugby for the most part now in Australia, wherein he'll tune into the World Cup, he'll, he'll dial into the Bledisloe, but if you aren't winning those things, then it's so easy to lose interest in between the week to week. So there's so much rest on this game against England this weekend because if Australia, get bounced, Australia gets bounced in the quarters, then 
the reality is it'll set us back even more. It really will. If they can somehow conjure up a big upset win, then, I mean, you can set yourself up for the next couple of years, at least with some momentum. Because I can remember 2015 when they were on that hot streak going into the final in uh, England against the All Blacks. That night, that game, that night for the final, you couldn't get into a pub around Sydney. Everyone had their retro Wallabies jerseys on. They were back. Fell away the year after. But, that's what rests on the game this weekend. It's the fickle, uh, I guess, Australian crowd. It is. It's the fickle. It is. Yeah. Especially in Sydney. Yeah. 100% <laughs> Sydney. Yeah. 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 That, that doesn't apply to sports. It applies to bars and restaurants and all that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. I, Steve Steve always gets the invites, uh, you know, all the VIP events. And uh, yes. I, I, I used to be his plus one, but now he's got a proper plus one. So I never, I never get to come anymore, unfortunately. I know. She's he is, but he is, he's, he is royalty, though. You've got to remember he's like going out with a king. I know. King, it's, king. It's like, it's like the Red Sea gets parted every single time. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, well, Sean, uh, just quickly, obviously Australia, England, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, Japan, Wales, France, all that, uh, they are four cracking quarterfinals. I mean, I, it's, I think it's must-watch TV, but if in your mind, can anybody beat New Zealand? Because I've, I've probably watched about... Totally. Four, really? Yeah. Oh, mate, 100%. I've been saying this, I've been saying this wow. for months and months and months to anyone who will listen. Um, is, anyone, so- is anyone listening? Well, it's hard to say. Um, so we've got. I've, I still think. I mean, obviously, I'm going to always hope that Australia can can somehow manufacture a similar performance to what they put on the park against the All Blacks over in Perth this year. Uh, should they not be able to do that, I think England can push New Zealand all the way. Like Eddie Jones, the England coach, is so that that would be the likely uh, that would be the likely matchup in the semi-finals. England would cross over against New Zealand, but that also then leaves South Africa on the other side of the draw. Assuming they can beat the locals this week, I'm almost certain that they'll put away Wales. And then if the Springboks and New Zealand meet in the big one, a rematch of the 95 World Cup, uh, 100% South Africa can beat them. They've beaten them and drawn with them on their last couple of hitouts. So, yes, the I reckon the answer is definitely yes to uh, someone troubling NZ. Sorry to our Kiwi listeners. <laughs> no, 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 do you know what? I reckon they're actually. I reckon they're mindful of it too. I, I bumping in a lot. I mean, there is just such a great melting pot of people over here that you chat to from all the nations, and there is a real sense of um, humility from some of the All Black supporters I've bumped into who recognise this is going to be a tough one. I mean, no one's ever won three World Cups in a row, and that's for good reason. Well, I saw the uh, the match between South Africa and the All Blacks, the first in, the, in that first match that they played, and. Yeah, first twenty five minutes, South Africa was all over them, um, and they yep. pro- and they probably probably should have scored some more points with the possession that they had, the field position they had, and then the All Blacks got it, kind of got back into the game, got the points on the on the board, and kind of just went away with it at the end. But that game was very very close, and I think South Africa can take a lot from that. I think the scoreboard probably flattered New Zealand a little bit in that first game. Actually, some of the refereeing decisions, admittedly, both ways seem to fall uh, more in more important moments against the South Africans. So uh, I think I mean, that scoreline flat them. And as I said, I mean, there is there is nothing between those two teams. Let's just be honest. Does the All Blacks ever get 
the wrong decision against him by a referee. It's just like, it, <laughs> no. you'd have to ask them. It's just the, 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 the it's, it's, goes oh. <laughs> no, We just went there. I can't, I can't, Let's I can't, be honest. Yeah, I can't buy in. I can't buy into that because I, um, you know, I mean, that's, I know. A, that's a no win. That's that's a that's a no win. That's a straight yeah. snooker that you're throwing up. I, right. I know. I you know. got nothing to gain by answering that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, you guys are the commentators, Steve and, and Sean. You know. They, there must be games, though, Sean, where, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you are at the World Cup where you, it's exciting to be, you know, commentating on, on these games. And even the minnows that have been playing, I mean, this is these are huge events for them in itself to, to even be at the Rugby World Cup. But I'm sure both of you guys have commentated on games where it's maybe a little bit hard to get up for, uh, you know, whether it's domestically or in, in, internationally. Steve, I mean, even in the NBL, I'm sure there's games where you're like, really, we've got to commentate on this? Well, there are games that are lopsided, but I think Sean's probably set it up to where everything is exciting around there. There are teams that could possibly beat New Zealand. Uh, the buzz is everybody supporting it, high five in every couple of meters that you go. How good is that? And and I, I just think you know the atmosphere would just surpass anything that's maybe a lopsided game. You've got plenty of things to talk about, so. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, Sean, but I, I would imagine that you're, you're just enjoying it. And if a lopsided game comes, you can just wear it. Well, do you know, do you know what I've worked out? There is, and I've, I've long been a believer because quite often I've been on the wrong side of the losing uh, bet or multi around it. But calling the Fiji-Uruguay game, guys, I've got to put this into context for you. So we're going back to, it was still inside the first week of the tournament. Up in a place called Kamaishi, which he is a part of the a part of Japan's uh, east coast, it was smashed by the tsunami back in 2011, rather. Mm-hmm. So, Uruguay v Fiji, World 19 against World Number Eight, playing on a field that was built on the ruins of the local school that was flattened by the tsunami that rolled through. Miraculously, uh, all the kids knew the tsunami was on its way, scrambled to high ground. I mean, it was, guys, it was it was surreal just being there for the game itself. Uruguay come out, and they're up against Semi Randrandra and a bunch of other professional Fijians who do the thing overseas. And as massive outsiders, like I'm talking ridiculous outsiders, find a way to beat them by three points. 30 points to 27 full-time. Uruguay have only got 6,000 registered rugby players. Wow. Yeah, there they were on the world stage. And people are crying after the game. I think we were crying in the commentary box. Like, it was just one of those unbelievable snapshots to show how sport doesn't completely heal the hurt of a region or the hurt of a town, but it can be a little, a little stepping stone towards giving them a memory that can help try and put that devastation of the tsunami into the rearview mirror. So, And again, guys, on the way out of that, the whole town, all the volunteers lined up maybe 100 metres either side of the um, exit gates and just high fives and handshakes. They shook the hands, basically, of every supporter that left that stadium to say thank you. That's amazing. Okay, well, if you've got a microphone, you should just drop it. Man, that was just an unbelievable answer. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that, 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 that's an incredible story. And that's just, I mean, that's what sport's all about. That's what the you know Olympics about. Eric the Eel. This this is kind of that in a in a different way. You know, six thousand only six thousand registered rugby players. I mean, Fiji's a powerhouse. Obviously, um, yeah, they have, mm. they've been a powerhouse for years. Well, I mean, that's just an incredible story. Yeah, I don't know what I don't I don't know how they lined up in terms of um, in terms of what the bookies thought, but I think Uruguay would they would. Have, I mean, I don't know, so I don't bet, but they might have been thirty or forty to one head to head. Like wow. that's how ridiculous it was. Yeah, in a two horse race. Wow. 
Two horse race, yeah. <laughs> that's, prob- no, that's, that's probably the odds of me and Steve on one on one. Yeah, it'd be higher than that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Sean, listen, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for being a friend of Inside Slam and... We hope you can, uh, you know, jump on the the pod again soon. Um, you know, I hope it's all going well for you over there, and it just sounds like an amazing time. And you know, I hope you got you can enjoy it as much as you can, both in and outside the commentary box. Yeah, it's certainly doing certainly doing a lot of the latter there. And uh, fellas, I'll be calling. Uh, what have I got this weekend? I'm calling All Blacks v Ireland, so that should go out via. Um the uh, KO Sports and whoever else is carrying it. And then I've also commentating World Feed this weekend, the Japan-South Africa game. So big weekend coming up. It's my end. You've been calling some crackers so far. I've been uh, definitely enjoying it on the couch for sure. Sweet as boys. Thanks so much. Wow. Well, what an incredible story to finish that interview with Sean Maloney. I mean, Steve, that was... I mean, it's almost emotional because that's what sport's all about. That was maybe the best answer I've ever heard. You know, we asked him a question that was okay. And he said, let me just sum it up for you. The emotion that everybody in the stadium or everybody even watching the game on television must have felt was what embodies sport. You you couldn't script that. It wouldn't no. be believable, no. you know, if it wasn't the truth. And the circumstances of the field that it was played on and the school that was just ruined um, – yeah, that, that that was amazing. And and I think he just summed up a lot of things, you know, like how New Zealand are vulnerable. It was such a great interview because I don't know a great deal about rugby. My claim to fame with rugby is that I, um, the next door neighbor of Nick Farr Jones, that's all I've got, you know, so. <laughs> hey, that's, that, that's a pretty good claim to fame. Um, we just want to thank Sean again because that was, that was really incredible. And, you know, hopefully we can have him on the pod soon. Just want to thank our friends at manofmany.com. It's uh, one of Australia's best men's lifestyle sites for the latest products, culture, and style. I know I get a lot of the content for this pod off that site. So, you know, whether it's entertainment, grooming, sports, um, you know, pop culture, these guys have it all. So we just want to thank them for their support. And one of the things I loved on the site, they had an article about how to wear a gray suit. Like it's it's almost that James Bond thing. I've 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 never been a guy that's worn a grey suit, but uh, I'm definitely going to check it out to see how I can get it done. Because I know Steve, I know you're you're a man of fashion. I know you like to dress up, but you reckon you could pull it off? No, you have to have the right skin tone to be able to pull off a a grey suit. I can't even pull off a grey t-shirt in the summer. You know, like got a little bit of a tan. I'm rocking there, but not many people can pull off grey. You got to have real dark skin. What do you mean a little bit of a tan? You have a permanent tan. I, you know, I'm like, you know, the Swiss mocha complexion, you know, not, not real dark, but I think you have to be real dark to pull off that much gray without looking bland. What about James Bond? He's uh, as a white guy wearing the gray. Oh yeah. Wearing the gray. He, he, he pulls it off. Well, he's James Bond. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Steve, I know uh, you got it pretty easy that Penny Hardaway. So you wanna, do you wanna give me a, do you wanna give me a crack, or do you think I'm just gonna be too? I'll, I'll get it too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what do you got? What do you got for me? It's gonna be very hard for for me to beat when you got. I mean, you got Horace Grant in what ten seconds. You got Penny Hardaway in about thirty seconds. So I'm gonna keep giving you clues if you're not getting it. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. All right. He was born in West Virginia, United States, in 1938, one of the great players. 1938. 1938. 
He played for one team. Now, Jerry West. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. What was your what? One team. One team. One team. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, I was. <laughs> I didn't even have to give you any clues. Like, he's the logo. He's the logo. Well, I would have got that instantly. But instantly. Yeah. Yeah, number yeah. forty-four. I'm probably, uh, probably not big on his number, but yeah, when you said one team, I was like, I was thinking Wilt, and I was like, no, nah, one team, it's uh, it's Jerry West. I was going to go Elgin Baylor, that but I been, thought that would have been that too been tough. tough. That would have been tough for me to get. Even though he's a great player, he's not one that you would think of right away. No, I mean, top 10, all-time all LA Laker, for sure, I would say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to give a clue that – well, he was number 22, but you're not big on numbers. And I was going to say he held the most points scored in a playoff match before Michael Jordan scored 63 against the Celtics. Wow. There you go. I think he had 61. There you go. Elgin Baylor. Well, you're going to have to come up with something better than that next week, Steve. Wow. Yeah. I will I take that. Jerry West logo, Evan Goldback, no problem. I must say, in this episode, you've really shown me that you are a sports nut. You know all the sports all the way across the board. I'm very impressed. Last week's show was my favorite, but this week's show, you have impressed me the most. That's probably why I'm single. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're the man. Um, well, listen, guys, as always, uh, we appreciate you listening. We're available on Instagram under Inside Slam. Also, don't forget to follow Global Story Network and go to globalstorynetwork.com for a whole range of uh, different podcasts. Attitudes on there, which is, a, which is a cracking listen as well. Steve's been on that. And also check out Global Story Network on Twitter. And we will see you next week. 